Grand Designs is one, one of the great television shows of the modern age and two, fantastically successful. I mean, it's on to at least season 22 by now. Been sold all over the world, spawned any number of spin-offs, and Kevin McLeod's ridden its wave of success and become a celeb in his own right as he wanders through the wonders of architecture and astonishing homes. He's coming back to the country with a show on stage, Kevin McLeod's Home Truths, and Kevin McLeod is with us out of Australia. Good morning. Morning, Mike. How are you? I'm extremely well. I'm watching at the moment, as I've watched all your series over the years, but we've got the um, the House of the Year program on at the moment. That house, old woolshed, with the cathedral-like library, and they dug oh, yeah. the 400 millimetres out to make it lower. I just yeah. what, What's fascinated me with your program over the years is how you still find so many people who do so many beautiful things. Beautiful things, also willful things. You know, the, the, the kind of the, the extent to which people will take a, a scrap of land or a piece of nothing and then turn it into something, yeah. It's sometimes exquisite, sometimes not so exquisite, but it's, it's the process of doing it and trying. That's what fascinates me. It's like ever since we, you know, crawled out of a hole... Or, or out of the water onto the dry land millions of years ago. We've been we've been attempting to try and kind of straighten the earth a bit and make it mm. in our image almost. And yeah. and and I, I think that's what that that primitive drive is so powerful in and is all, you know. What is the can you explain the cantilevering fascination? So there have been a couple of houses you've done over the years where they've cantilevered in a way that's defies gravity, but that's the trick and that's the magic. Why would you put all that energy time into cantilevering? <laughs> That is such a good question, and I'm going to keep that one and use it. It's. Do you know what? I, I once made a program about domes, domes, St Paul's Cathedral and Brunelleschi's Dome in Florence and domes on buildings, and I think spires and domes and cantilevers all are about the same thing. They're about man saying to the gods, I can defy the laws of gravity. I can defy the laws of God and of the universe and make something stand up in a straight line and make it work. Yeah. And and it's not going to fall down. And amazingly, I mean, Brunelleschi's dome built, you know, what, 700 years ago is still there. And um, so I'm sure every architect in their heart has this little desire to try and just, yeah, De de defeat the universe, you know, because what the universe wants to do is basically turn every mountain into dust and, you know, everything degrades, entropy. And then every human being wants to kind of somehow lift up the dust and form it into something, you know, a bit straighter and a bit more organized. And I, and it's pointless, of course, because we all, we all, I was talking to a mate of mine about this the other day who's an architect and, and I said, you know, the thing is, of course, you know, it's it's slightly pointless because all architecture, all buildings degrade over time. And he said, yeah, it's brilliant, isn't it? That's just going to keep us in work forever. <laughs> so true. Do, is it different in Britain? I don't know whether you track the, the projects you've done over the years, but the average ownership of house in this country is seven years. So you put all this energy and love into whatever it is. Do these people stay, you know, having done yeah, what they do? Yeah, that's a really interesting point. Yeah, and that seven year thing is quite it's 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 the same in the UK. So um yeah, people do. I mean, and often because they've built something which is so personal to them, they don't want to sell it. They they you know, it's simply an expression of who they are. Uh, and often because they also when they're clever, they design buildings to 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 actually last and adapt to their future needs. So the best kind of buildings are those where people, yeah, spend the time and the money and invest, but also plan for their own future, which is often not the case. You know, so many people build a house with, you know, two 13-year-old children, and then by the time they finish the building, the children have left home. <laughs> have you ever 
at all entered into the relationship with the couple and gone, sounds good, what's your budget? And they've gone, well, $1.25 million, and you've gone, that sounds about right, as opposed to what you normally do, which is you're joking. Well, most people don't have enough money for what they oh. want to do, yeah. I mean, most people overreach, overextend, and it's sort of human to do that, isn't it? Um, but, um, yeah, just occasionally somebody has yeah, just about enough and just they normally get it right. And it's like when I say to people, have you employed a quantity surveyor to help you here? And they say, oh, yeah, we did, yeah, yeah. Uh, but then we looked at the figures they came up with and we said, no, we're not going to spend that. So we're, <laughs> And I, I said, what is the point? Because the quantity surveyor is always right. Yeah. It's, there is a sort of willful ignoring, a willful rejection of common sense that happens in this process, which is just fascinating to watch. And I'm so pleased that I'm not on, you know, that side of the of, of the relationship because um, luckily I'm, I'm, you know, I'm. I, I, I say to people, I hold the viewer's hand, you know, but actually sometimes I think the viewer's holding my hand, reminding me that I'm not doing this. The other thing that I find interesting about some of the programs, and I can't remember where it was, it was in London almost certainly, but it was a, it was an almost triangular house. We've got rules in this country whereby you've got to have gaps between neighbours and fencing and paths and all of that sort of thing. In London, you seem to be able to just dig a hole in a gap and fill it with a house. Is is it is it is that that loose? <laughs> Uh, it, it varies enormously. The triangular house I think you're talking about is one which actually, ha- it, it was a more of a rectangular site, but the, the, there was a huge main sewer which ran yes. through the site. So yes. they had to make the house so much smaller than when they thought they were going to have to. So it was exigency. I mean, and of course, actually that building had a, a rather generous path all the way around it. I, I'm not a great favour of people building these great McMansions, you know, that, that extend right to the boundary. Mm. So you stick your window up against somebody else's window and then have to put some translucent plastic on it so you can't see into their house. Um, and I think generally we, we do build really too big. I mean, I, I say to people, I could shrink your house overnight to two-thirds its size and you wouldn't notice. Wow. Uh, and that's absurd, isn't it? We, we spend all this money on stuff and ideas. and All we're doing is just trashing our planet, trashing resources, trashing, you know, trashing our bank balance, you know, for for what purpose? To show off? I mean, it just seems nonsense to me. So I think we should be spending money on storage and on clever design and joy and craftsmanship and making our houses a bit smaller, putting perhaps fewer toilets into them. Because in my country, we tend to build houses with more toilets than actual occupants, which I don't understand. I don't, I I think I understand what a toilet is for. And unless somebody has got an amazing other use for it, I, you know, that's absolutely necessary. I I can't understand that. It's a funny thing. And what I love about, sorry, I was going to say, what I love about New Zealand architecture is actually the, the opposite. So much of what you produce as a country is, 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 has a light touch. It's beautiful. Now, listen, one of the problems we're having at the moment, uh, I don't know whether it's the same in your part of the world, is the cost of building. So if you look at a really high-end apartment in this particular country, you're running now at close to £20,000 a square metre, right? 40000 New Zealand dollars a square metre, and you can't build for that, so therefore people don't. Therefore you go cheap, therefore you've got a square box, therefore in 20 years' time it looks like a dump. I mean, do you have that problem in Britain? Uh, yeah, we do. Uh, our landmass isn't too different. Our, our population is huge really high really great pressures on land and on 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 value and so that you know that that sucks a lot of cash out of the system uh we have huge development organizations the last largest of which um, and these are these are private corporations uh, the largest of which generated 1.1 billion pounds last year in profit so these are enormous 
uh, enormous companies. And, and so the effect on the market is quite toxic as a result. Uh, a lowering of standards of quality, lobbying government to reduce standards and quality. Um, and it's, it's a dysfunctional market and it's, it's been hollowed out. So uh, I, I really sympathize here. And, um, and for years I've been involved in schemes and I really, I'm, I'm very passionate about schemes where you've got uh, local authorities, you've got councils, you've got housing associations, you've got uh, not-for-profit schemes, you've got local community involvement, you've got all this stuff happening, which, which helps just lower um, the costs um, and reintroduces money into the local economy from these projects and mm. also makes buildings more affordable because you can create all kinds of different ownership and tenure models, uh, all kinds of rental arrangements as well too. And I'm, I'm a big fan of mixing up social and, and private as well because I think generally speaking it's just a civilised thing to be doing. We, we've sort of forgotten that at the bottom of all this is the basic principle that housing is one of, it's, it's an essential human right. The United Nations mm. defines it as an essential mm. right shelter and that it's a marker of the civilised nature of our society. Future generations will judge us on our health care, on our education, on our, our social care, how we look after other people, and on our housing, the quality of our homes. And so there, there have to be some big, big changes, I think. Tell you what I do like also is that you seem to have, and what is the state of it, of, of the, what I would call old skills, stone masonry, you know, mm. slate roofing and tiles and stuff. We don't have that here. We've never really had that here. Do you still have that there? Is that a thriving thing or is that increasingly a problem? It, it, it's not always easy to find good people, but there are, yeah, because we have old buildings, we have these old skills, I guess. That's sort of where it comes from. You, you go to Germany, for example, where carpenters train for three years, the same in Sweden. In France, if you want to work on a roof, you train for three, four years to do wow. this. It's like taking a degree. So the, there's a, now I'm not saying that these countries are full of skilled labor, but the, 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 the existence of the schools and the traditions and the, the old buildings to work on, I guess, is, is, is a thing too. But that doesn't mean to say that you can't build beautifully in a contemporary way um, with great craftsmanship. There are, I mean, in, in New Zealand, fantastic things done with timber, great um, great traditions of, of joinery and of working with other materials too, whether it's concrete or steel or glass. I mean, these oh. craftsmanship isn't, it, it, it's, a, it, it's, a, it's a journey that, 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 that people go on with materials and, um, and in, in, in the process of making. And I think it's a sort of an attitude, a state of mind as much as anything. One of the most famous houses was the one on the side of the hill with a marriage that blew up, the big white one, I don't know, I can't remember where it was, but 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 you know, huge, huge monstrosity on the side of the hill. That was for sale, I think, last year. Do you know if it sold? It's still for sale, and you're wow. talking about Ed here. Yes, yeah. we made a program. I think we called it the program of hubris, and then <laughs> and then and then and then we went back, and it was a sort of we went back, and it was a sort of story of redemption, actually. Yeah. So um, I, I love the film, um, if only because it allowed us to just explore. Uh, uh, in depth, some of the kind of rarer human emotions and conditions, really. And it was sad for Ed, but he's a very, he was, what made the film great was that he was just so open and honest. Yeah. Right at the front, he said, I'm probably overreaching myself. And at the end of the film, he said, I overreached myself <laughs> and I lost my wife and my daughters. And uh, yeah, and he was so, yeah. He opened his heart to us, and that that yeah. made it for, that made it a very powerful film. That's wonderful. Uh, well, it's been a while. I came and saw you last time when you were here. I assume you're as wonderful and entertaining and witty and charming of an evening as you were last time. I'm older. I'm still in one piece. <laughs> but 
I don't know. I mean, you know, the thing about doing stuff on stage is it's it's not exactly stand up, but it's almost. You know, I, I don't like looking out at a row of stony faces. Yeah. You know, while I'm reading a lecture, that's yeah. really not the point. And I'm, I like to bounce around the stage a bit. And you sort of got to try and I think, as my producer said to me, you got to turn into a song and dance man. Well, I'm not going to dance, and I used to sing, but I'm certainly not going to try and croak now. So uh, I have to sort of um, just bounce around and show slides and tell stories and try and get people to enjoy themselves and that's what it ought to be you know because nobody's going to come wanting to have a bad time are they really <laughs> exactly we, precisely. We... precisely well we're looking forward to seeing you again lovely to catch up and uh, we'll talk again soon bless you mike thanks so much kevin mcleod out of australia this morning for more from the mike hosking breakfast listen live to news talk zb from 6am weekdays or follow the podcast on iHeartRadio.